Service is everything. If you don't think that you're serving, everything that I make is about service. Like it has to provide a function of service. So Silent Giants, service is a community of people who are underserved. People who do amazing things, who make legendary work. Things that you see in your everyday world that you take for granted, who never, who was never given a platform to say that was me. This week's guest is New York-based, Virginia-born podcaster, rapper, and songwriter, Corey Cambridge, a creative force of nature and a man on a journey. Building on his early career as a rapper and songwriter, in 2017, Corey launched Giant Umbrella, a content company and podcast network. His flagship program, Silent Giants, is a podcast that celebrates the geniuses behind the scenes of pop culture and digs deep to investigate the stories of the creative superstars that have shaped our contemporary landscape. He recently launched OPP, Other People's Podcasts, a discovery platform that highlights his favourite podcasters and the dope shows they create. On this episode, we discuss the influence of Corey's family and upbringing, when and how his desire to entertain and his creative drive emerged, his commitment to live a life of service, the impact of serendipity, his view of luck and probability, and his philosophy of life, and a whole lot more. I hope you enjoy this entertaining episode with Corey Cambridge. Welcome to the Impossible Network, Corey. Mark, what's good, my man? Life is good. I'm in bed sty. Got the dog here. Had my Snickers. Got my coffee. Yo, it's good. It's good to have you in the sty, man. It's a soulful place. Yeah. Let's talk about life before the sty. Where you came from. Your upbringing. Yeah, I, I'm from Virginia, Richmond, Virginia, um, which is an amazing place um, to to be from. I'm very fortunate to be from there. Uh, it's interesting if you're in new york city you think of it as the south but i I like to call it more like the mid-atlantic region of the country because it does have definitely has southern roots and virginia has a very diverse landscape as far as it's clearly close to dc so if you're in dc in the suburb of dc kind of area it's very multicultural very international Mm -hmm. um it's just a suburb of dc uh where i'm from richmond is very central to the state which is uh, a lot of, of rooted history in the Confederacy. It was the capital of the Confederacy. It was the capital of the South. Um, you know, it has so still a lot of statues there. Yes, there's a street called Monument Avenue that has uh, a strip of Confederate soldiers uh, that are just aligned through the middle of downtown, uh, which conveniently also has a statue of, of Arthur Ashe because he's from Richmond. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> a great tennis player. Great tennis player, yes. Yeah. But it's it's kind of rooted in this southern tradition there. But if you get to Tidewater, it's also a, bit, a very the Tidewater part of the state. It's very um, navy, so it's very diverse North in another Virginia, way. The big navy base. Yes, so that brings a different element. But if you're west of Richmond, you're in the mountains, and it's a completely different vibe. And if you go further that, than that, those are Blue Ridge Mountains. The Blue Ridge Mountains, yeah. yes. Made famous by Laurel and Hardy. I yes, the, yes. The great song. Um, Which maybe you'd do a little rendition for us. Sure, why not? <laughs> <laughs> sure. Um, but if you get past the Blue Ridge Mountains, it's very Southern country. Uh, so Virginia just has a, a very diverse landscape and very diverse cultures all within the same, same state. So you grew up there. I grew up there, single parent home. Mm-hmm. My mother, she's a hairstylist, uh, entrepreneur, and uh, I have one sister. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, I grew up with my grandparents. They were a big part of my life and still are a big part of my life. They were very influential in raising me. My three uncles were like my superheroes and like my older brothers. And so um, they, they had a huge impact on my development. So me becoming Corey today was really just a product of like being raised by an entire village of, of awesome people. Were they quite strict? No, not at all. They have their traditions, right? Like you would definitely be eating at the table with grandma and granddaddy. Uh-huh. Um, watching at seven o'clock was always the time because we would always eat together and watch Jeopardy and then watch, you know, Wheel of Fortune. And because that would go from seven to eight. So traditions in that way um, were really important, but not strict. They really allowed me to really kind of be myself. I I never had a curfew. I never had anything like that. I've been very fortunate and blessed that I've always had good people around me and I've always surrounded myself with good people. So I never found myself in any trouble. Mm -hmm. So do you live with your grandparents and your mother or was it? Yeah, I, I lived with my mom for till I was 13, 14, but I moved in with my grandparents really in high school and um, lived with them for the, the majority of my elder teen years. Mm-hmm. Why, did, why did you move? 
my grandparents had a lot more experience, <laughs> yeah. right? They had had four kids of their own. They, uh, my mom was a single parent mom, so she worked a lot. And so it really was just like, yo, my grandparents are just real cool to live with. I, I've always had the, a lot of freedom. Mm-hmm. So if I wanted to live with my mom, I could live so with my she mom. She was cool with it. Yeah. For, I mean, for the, for the most part, I think there was, at certain points, it could be a little bit challenging because like, who's the mother figure? But overall, it was cool. My, my grandparents were amazing. I, I, I can't say anything negative about what they have done uh, and meant to be in my life. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you're on an entrepreneur, an entrepreneurial journey. Initially, uh, obviously, as a musician, and now as a podcaster. But it, you've always struck me as being a very optimistic, positive, energized person, and with great sense of self-belief. Who instilled that in you? I gave my mom a lot of credit uh, in a conversation we had about six months ago, because mm-hmm. I told her I was like, "Mom, you know, my mom was a single parent. She worked extremely long hours, uh, but my mom had extreme. Her her gift as a parent was vision. Mm-hmm. She worked really hard, but she also knew we were never of our neighborhood. We were always a, a step above. She always had a vision of what the good life is like and the the importance of association and being around good people. And so, through being a hairstylist, she would you know finesse friendships with people who. You know, like my mom didn't graduate from college, you know, but all of our friends did graduate from college. Uh, all of her friends did. Or uh, all of her f- friends did have, you know, a husband in the household. Um, so she would always put our, our money into going into the most expensive summer camps, giving mm-hmm. us the best cultural experiences. We we're always at museums. We were always introduced to to that finer things of life perspective that were really out of our financial means but she made sure that we had that as far as the believing in yourself that comes from my grandfather my grandfather is like the coolest fucking dude Uh and i'll never forget this as as long as i live it's a moment that will always stick with me every sunday we would go on fishing trips and on these fishing trips, you know, we would have the radio on, we'd be playing the, the Washington Redskins would be you, on. You and your grandfather. Yeah. This was like our tradition every Sunday. And we would, on this fishing trip, one day we're driving. And my uncles are my superheroes. You know, they were huge in my development. Like, I literally have taken a little piece of them within me. Of like, I'm gonna, I want to be like them mm-hmm. in this way. And he was on this trip and he said, Corey, you know, I've had three sons of my own. But he was like, you are special. Like you're gonna be something incredible, and I was like, he's like, I don't, he's like, I, I'm putting my money that you're gonna do something that is is unthinkable, and that alone at being nine years old and having someone who I look up to was like, yo, this guy's the fucking man, hmm. and for him to think of me at eight nine years old of like, you think I'm gonna, you see who my uncles are, huh. you see how cool <laughs> they are, and you think that I'm gonna do something that completely changed my life. That made me think. Yo, you should you should dream big. You should think of mm-hmm. something. You should think of the impossible. There's no yeah, need to so think he small. He was preparing you. He was just setting out your expectations and setting the bar high for you. Yeah, well, I, I think it's important as a when I look back at my my early years, the importance of of grooming. I feel like my family like groomed me mm-hmm. in a very early way of, you know, I was always around older people. My mom was in a hair salon. So I was always talking to women. I was always talking to people who are all, always older. My uncles, I was always around them. They were people that I really looked up to. So I was always having a very adult level conversations. Almost like when I was with kids my own age, I didn't even really fit in because of the conversations. I was always around adults mm-hmm. and inspiring people and people who were at least on that level of my life at that, at that time, were really about positive things and doing positive but things. But what about your close-knit friend network at school? Yeah, yeah, I did. But I wouldn't look at, like, my my middle, my elementary school years were, were hard years. You know, I was kind of a nerd, <laughs> you know. <laughs> you know, I, I was always, t- I was huge. I was way taller than everybody else. But I just wasn't cool. You know, I, I didn't have the cool sneakers. I wasn't, like, this thing. That I wasn't really cool at all. And, but what, what, and what happened? If it was a transformation. Middle school. Yeah. Middle school, I realized like, oh, okay. I, I'm not the extreme jock. I'm not the cool kid. What is my strength? And I realized that people liked me. And I, I realized I, distinctly, I remember going into seventh grade saying, yo, I'm going to thrust myself into every social situation. I'm going to join every club. I'm going to do every sport. 
I'm going to be the most well-rounded person at the school. I'm going to make friends with everyone. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to be a part of a clique. Uh, I'm going to be a part of every clique. So I joined the track team. I joined the basketball team. I was in boys choir. I was in boys and girls ensemble. I did the morning announcements. I oh, This was all of your own back? You weren't encouraged by your, your mother or your grandfather to do this? No. This was all like... For the most part, I was like, yo, this is what I want to do. This is going to work for me. I'm going to be the people person. And so that's when my life kind of changed where I realized like, yo, I'm going to have friends everywhere. And yeah, that was a conscious decision. I say in seventh grade, I was 13 years old. And I I think it's something that still sticks with me to this day. Like, I don't have a click. You know, I have my close friends who are like family to me, but I don't don't have a scene. Like my scene is wherever I'm at. Mm Mm-hmm. I've been to Richmond a couple of times um, on business, but I mean, growing up there, what was it like from uh, being in, you said it's uh, the home of the Confederacy. Was it a fairly mixed school in terms of race? Um, You definitely know you're black. Mm-hmm. You definitely know you're black. You definitely know you're the black guy in the room. And I don't say that really even in a negative because the world is the same exact way. You know, like, I think that's also helped me understand people, right? Understand where I fit in in the world and how to navigate in my skin. Yeah. You know, if I had grown up in New York, you may not understand like how to communicate and where you fall in society if I was in Kansas. But I understand in Kansas how to move, how to uh, how to maneuver. Mm-hmm. Being a black man, and that's the thing, being a black man requires strategy. When you see someone like Jay-Z make it, Jay-Z is very strategic because for him to get into that position, he had to plot, he had to move, he had to think like, ah, like you know, it's, it's down to what you wear. Sometimes how you speak, it's it's finding a common ground with someone who's not like like you, right? Like your skin color is a barrier. Where your economic status of where you grew up and how that person across from you grew up is very different. So how do I make a connection with that person that's genuine mm-hmm. and that feels genuine on the other end? And that's what maybe growing up in an environment like Richmond taught me is finding a middle ground with people that aren't like you at all. But I yeah. suppose that's what's made uh, equipped you to be a, a great interviewer and a great podcaster is your connection with people. That's obviously something this willingness at school to go out there and be part of everyone and to get on with everyone has really sort of set you on that course. Being understanding people, I say this all the time that I'm not in the podcasting business or the music business or the entrepreneurship, let's get money business. I'm in the people business. And whenever you understand people, you're going to be successful, right? When I write a song, I'm writing a song thinking about a particular moment, thinking about what a person wants to hear at this time. I'm thinking about the mood. The, are they in their car when they're listening to this? Are they in a city when they're listening to this? Are they in the country when they're listening to this? Who is listening to this? How old are they? Like, what do they want to hear? So when I write a, a song for a, that's the perspective of a female, like I'm putting myself in that position, right? That goes back to being in my mother's hair salon and hearing women speak, Right. Hearing women speak about being married or being mothers or whatever or being a a woman in the workplace, hearing those conversations. Um, So whether it's a in in a podcast, I don't even have to know what the person does or really know their music to connect with them on a on a heart to heart human level. And so, yeah, I I think just knowing people, knowing what people want to hear, what they don't want to hear, caring about people. It has helped me in a lot of ways. It's interesting. There's a term used in our industry uh, called user-centered design. Mm-hmm. And that's really what you're doing. You're putting the user at the center of your thinking, your design thinking, whether it be for a song, a podcast, any piece of creative material. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump um, back into a question about your childhood, which was what's the most defining moment or memory from your childhood. But you did talk about fishing with your grandfather. Is there anything else in your childhood that you would put down as a defining moment? Totally. Totally. <laughs> oh, boy, I've known this one in a long time. There were several, but if there was one that was like a light bulb moment of, oh, man, I love this feeling, mm-hmm. was in the school play. There was a, uh, the teacher, her name was Miss Marsh. She would write these parts for the kids in drama. And because we're not like actors, we're all in middle school, we're all super awkward. She would make these characters in the play that would suited your personality. Mm-hmm. So if you, like for me, she made this role for me as being Michael Jackson. And, you know, I can, I 
do a little Michael Jackson impersonation, and I love I'm a Michael Jackson fanatic. We're gonna I'm gonna hold you to that. Oh yeah, yeah. And um, in the play, I had had like a, a speaking part and a dance routine, and the, the lights hit. It's I'm about to walk out on stage. The light hits, and I have this like countdown, and then like beat it comes on, and the stage is black, but I can just hear people. Scream! It's like a deafening scream. It was that type of scream where you could feel the breath hit, and I can't see anyone in front of me. And I'm doing this dance routine, and I'm like, "This is amazing!" Like, "Oh my god!" And then I, the first line, everyone started laughing, and I was like, "This is what I want to do the rest of my life." <laughs> I want. Why to, were they laughing? Because I, I, I put on this Michael Jackson voice. And I was like, "Oh, oh, hi there," you know, <laughs> and. They just bust out laughing, and I had like the, the one of the funniest roles in the play. All the dudes in school who I thought were just so cool were like, yo, I got to admit, man, that was hilarious. Like, you killed that. And at 13, 14, just seeing the reaction from people, knowing that I can have an impact and make people happy and have fun. You know, my first rap show, too, that was an impactful moment. But that, that moment, for sure, just like changed my life. It's like, I have to entertain. Yeah. Like, my greatest calling is entertaining people that does lead nicely on to the next question which is where did your creative or when did your creative skills first become apparent to you um, and how did your parents or teachers encourage you to drive those creative skills and focus on creativity uh i'd say the first time was just listening to rap music and being like, i like this you know i like who were your early rap influences oh man i mean definitely jay-z I was really big into Jay. I was really big into Heavy D actually was a big role model for me growing up as a, as a kid. And uh, I would just, or, or everything on Bad Boy, Mace, Puff Daddy, like anything that was of that era, I was a humongous fan of, of like the mid to late 90s. And I would first start off just making, learning, listening to the beat and making my own lyrics to the cadence they already had. And then once I got to middle school, I really realized like, yo, I have a knack for freestyling. I have so a- you'd start writing even at that age, around what, eight, nine? Oh yeah, I mean, I've always been a writer. I had a journal. I wrote in a journal every day from four, third grade to like my freshman year, sophomore year of high school. I wrote so in a I, journal. I interviewed um, Ryder Carroll. Oh, get out. The creator of the book, The Bullet Journal. Yeah. All about journaling. Yeah. That's interesting. I didn't realize that about you, that you actually journal. I journaled every day. And you still do? Um, not so much. Once I got into songwriting is when I left really, like, actually writing my, my, about my thoughts and everything and on a day-to-day basis. But every day I wrote in a journal. I mean, I have 20 of them, mm-hmm. 25 of them, just books of what I was going through that day and what the day was like at school and what girls I had a crush on. And some of it was really like sad. Some of it was like, you know, like, you know, I miss my dad. He doesn't call me anymore. You know, some of it's fun. Some of it's like, oh my God, I made the game winning shot at the basketball game. This is, but once I got, as far as creatively, I knew that when I got into middle school, I had a knack for rapping and people would pay me to rap for them at school. Or I would make like a song for you on the spot. Or uh, I remember being, this one teacher in particular really, saw what I did was as amazing. I think when, yeah, some people are like, this is cool. And then yet my parents, my mom didn't really understand. My grandparents didn't really understand. This one teacher, Miss Fitch, really saw what I was doing as extremely cool. She and, was teacher of what? English teacher. English, right. And she would let me, like this guy named Roy would sit behind me. He would make beats on the table. And before lunch, she would let me rap for the kids whenever I wanted. Amazing. And she was like, Corey, you have a rap for us today? And I would make a rap about like what we were studying that day in school, about the teacher, about the kids, what they were wearing. Where do you think that comes from? I mean, I've, I mean, I've, I've been in rooms with people doing freestyling and it's, it's one of the most incredible sort of talents and it just, the idea, the thoughts come to your head or just, does it just flow? It's, it's honestly, it's outer body. Mm-hmm. You know, I always say when I'm writing a song or I'm putting together you know, if a concept hits me that it's not even me thinking it, you know, like it's just this sheer confidence that you're always going to land. And I never get scared of not landing. That's like never happens to me. And, um, you know, even when I do interviews with a podcast, a lot of times I don't go in with any type of notes. I don't go in with anything. I just go in with like, we're going to just touch on whatever. And I I just have sheer faith that I'm going to ask the right question at the right time 
and create the right moment every single time. Well, you've just taken that nicely to my uh, question around Martin Luther King Day, uh, I think uh, Monday. And uh, oh, I was, I, we felt it. Yeah, <laughs> indeed, indeed. a day we won't forget. It, it was, was so very, cold. Very cold Martin Luther King Day. <laughs> Probably the coldest on record. Yeah. But uh, he, one of his great quotes was Faith is taking the first step, even when you don't see the staircase. And I think that's very relevant to what you're talking about. But in a sense, where does your own. Uh, I mean, you said you have faith in knowing it will just land it when you're doing a podcast and when you're doing your rapping. But where does your sort of faith in your own vision come from, of where you want to go and the sense of the direction that you're taking with your life? I mean, I just, I just, I can't go back. <laughs> you know, it's one of those things where uh, I just have faith that I, I have to move forward because I can't go back. Like, I'm not going to go back to Richmond. Uh-huh. I'm not going to, I'm grateful for the experience of living there and the values that instilled in me. But, I'm also very cool with, you know, I, I have this thing where I always say, like, you have to be the God of your life. When I thank God, I thank God for things I have no control over. I have no control that I was black. I have no control that I'm 6'3". I have no control that I was raised in Virginia. I had no control of where I went to high school. All these things I had no control over. But as I get older, I start playing, I get to be God in my own life, right? I get to say, this is 100%. Uh, I was having a great conversation with friends about luck versus probability. And luck doesn't really exist. It's just increasing your probability. So living in New York City increased my probability of being successful. I, I could make it in Virginia as being a podcaster or, or a rapper. Sure, I could. But the likelihood, the probability of making it increased when I, make the move, when I made the move to New York. You know, like Jay-Z is an amazing rapper, but Jay-Z was also living in a city where he could be seen, where his talents could be nurtured, where he could network. That's very true. I mean, you touched on a couple of things there. Just to sort of go back to Ryder, he mentioned one of the things he says in his books, focus on the things you can control and not things you can't. Yeah. That's exactly what you were just saying there in terms of being God of your own life. Where do you think that that serendipity or happy accident sort of came into your life? Oh, man. I mean, definitely the influence of... um, you know, my uncles are very dynamic people and they ha- their strengths are so strong. And when I was growing up, I was like, yo, I'm going to take all these things and I'm going to make it into one person. Like, I'm going to take my uncle, Mr. He's my oldest uncle. I'm going to take his personality. He is the he's the heart. Everyone in my family, he's the heart of the family. And I love that. My Uncle John, he's, he's the aspirational guy. He's the like, yo, when I'm, what I'm wearing is the best. Where I go to school is the best. The women I date are the best. My kids are the best. He is like, he's an excellence seeker. And he seeks excellence aggressively. And then my Uncle Dre, he's like the guy you want to have a beer with. He's like the guy who is just so cool. I call him like, like Fonzie from, uh-huh. from yeah, Happy yeah, Days. Happy days yeah. He's just so cool. He's so grounded. You just want to have a beer with him. You want to... Um, his approach on life, he's very strategic. And I, I, he was just always just the coolest. He was just, he was the guy that introduced me to hip hop and to rap. And he always had the fly shoes. And I, I and I just kind of molded that. But that, I mean, that's luck, right? Mm-hmm. Like, that's serendipity. Yeah. Like, just being born in a situation of like, these are my role models mm-hmm. as a human being. Yeah. And a lot of people could be in that situation and not embrace those superpowers or those personality traits that you discussed. But you, you, determined it in your own yourself that these would be facets of their characters that you would draw on and learn from and, and embrace to- totally i mean I, I i feel like that's how i am with people i call on people in my life because they provide me something whether it's inspiration whether it's a laugh whether it's we share the interests of sports i don't ex- i really don't expect everyone to be everything for me but if you could provide one thing for me that like i just can't get anywhere else i i, I look at people in that way you talked about rapping and you were in uh, Richmond and you were focused on making rapping a career. Yeah. And you said increasing your probability or your chances. Uh, it's more likely to be in New York. Is that what drove you to New York with, that, mean, with that intent to come here to be a rapper? Sure. I think what drove me to New York was just uh, a lot. Of, there was a series of events that just kind of led me here. It was almost like, well, where else do I go? I've only been to New York. <laughs> I was Richmond and I was New York and I was Richmond. and I was New York and Maybe if I was introduced to other cities where I was like, oh, maybe Atlanta, maybe I, I didn't really have that kind of option. It was like I, the people that I knew, the network that I had built was kind of focused here. 
I knew that it, like I didn't have a car. I knew I didn't have a lot of money. So I knew that, okay, if I move to New York, I can at least be resourceful. I at least have my feet. Yeah. Like I don't need anything. Yeah, unlike LA where you really do need. Right. You need resources, yeah. right? A car to someone who's 19 years old, go buy a car. What? Pay insurance. What? But for being 20, I moved here at 23 years old. I just knew that if I moved to New York, I didn't need any resources. I could literally make the situation happen. Mm-hmm. And that's where kind of New York landed for me. Like I could be as independent as possible. Talk to me about the journey from focusing on rap and then how podcasting emerged as a, as a central focus in your life. Well, I mean, moving here was amazing. I moved here in February of 20, 2011, February 21st, 2011, in the middle of a blizzard. And, I remember uh, that well. I just, it was my first winter here. I yeah, here it was brutal. Yeah, it was cold. It was brutal. It seemed to go on forever. It did. It was the longest winter. And you're already coming from the south where things warm up, <laughs> you know, by, by March, April. The fact that it did not warm up till damn near May. Yeah, it was yeah, that's true. miserable. Uh, it's a very hard winter, but it was a lot of fun. I, I remember just approaching the city with such excitement and newness and meeting new people from around the world. And you know, it was a very special time in New York where things weren't really gentrified, but they were starting to get like gentrified. Like you didn't know that they were ha- it was happening. But it was it was the entry stage where you can go to Williamsburg and catch like a really cool, amazing concert at some like warehouse or some like apartment space. And then like they will come back. These artists will come back to your place and chill and vibe and smoke. And there was a scene and a culture and everyone was young. It was an amazing time. And uh, the one thing that happened, though, was that the music industry really shifted here at that time. And Let's just contextualize that for people listening that don't know about Williamsburg. It's an William, area of New Williamsburg York was the last, the last actual creative scene musically in New York. So at this time, you had Kid Cudi, you had J. Cole, you had indie bands like Grizzly Bear. You had a music scene in Brooklyn that was extremely unique and it didn't last very long. You know, New York has always kind of been defined as having an era of a music scene, mm-hmm. right? Whether it was disco. And Studio 54, whether it was CBGBs uh, around the same time with the punk movement, whether it was hip hop in the 90s or in the 80s or in the late 70s of hip hop, you know, this was the first time after the Williamsburg scene that there was nothing really around. And as the city was growing more expensive, people were moving out of New York creatives work because you couldn't afford it. I'm sure there's probably people in New York that are musicians somewhere deep in the heart, either in the Bronx or in Queens or in Brooklyn. Maybe it's just it's happening and it's not within your purview at the moment. Or do you have a real sense that the music has left the city? Oh, it's left the city. And I mean, what happened, a lot of things have happened. Number one, New York's gotten a little bit more expensive. Number two, the internet. It used to have to be that you have to touch people. You have to, it's about increasing your probability. If you want to make it, well, how do you make it? I have to like build connections and a network. And the internet kind of took away that middleman, right? It took away the element of like having to connect with people to actually make it. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that had an impact on on the music culture here. So a lot of the songs that you hear in the radio, 95% of them were not made in New York City. They were made in Atlanta. They were made in Nashville. They were made in LA. So you think it's still happening in these cities like Atlanta and Nashville? Oh, these are amazing scenes. Like these are, these are, these are music communities. And I wouldn't say that New York right now is a music community. I would say that (laughs) it's, it's where you go to sign your record deal. It's not necessarily where you go to get your record deal. Right. Still some great venues, though. Sure. And I mean, look, uh, New York isn't, uh, it's my home, right? I, I identify as being a New Yorker, but also being a New Yorker, it, it's almost like when you're when you're married to your wife, you, you understand the good and the bad parts about your wife. And New York is amazing as far as it, it's a cultural hub internationally. And it, I love the diverse elements of industries that are here that you can't get in Atlanta, you can't really get in LA. It's nice to have like friends who work in finance and friends who work in fashion and friends who work in music and friends who work in all these different pockets and, and media and bringing them into one spot. But that's where podcasting came into play. It's like I recognize I love New York. How do I continue to be relevant and still be creative at the same time? And podcasting came into play. And that's, that's helped me with my music career. You know, I, I know more people through podcasting than I would have when I was just walking around as a rapper in New York. Yeah. But you still rap as well. You still write. This oh, yeah. Great. Oh, absolutely. So, yeah. It's one of those things I'll never, I don't know not how to. It's like, it's like walking. I, I can never lose those skills. It's just ingrained in me. When you first started thinking about podcasting as a, um, a pivot away from making rapping your central creative focus, 
you remember the first podcast you listened to that turned you on? I, I had never listened to a podcast before I started one. Never. That's incredible. Never. I had no knowledge of. I remember when my my friend who put me on to the idea of starting it told me about it. The first thing I said was, "Is that like an internet radio show?" And he was like, "Oh yes, <laughs> that's <laughs> if that's what you wanted to be, Corey. Yes, yes, it is. Yeah." I, so I had never really listened to a podcast before I started one. That that I, I was doing something wrong. I knew that I was doing something creatively that was very selfish. I knew that people liked me. I knew that I always got the phone call to Corey, come hang around. But I knew that every time, I, anything that I needed, I was asking for a favor. Mm -hmm. I wasn't doing anything that was serving anyone else. And so that's where I said, okay, if I rap, cool. But what if I just said, yo, can I write for you? If I write for you, they'll let me in the room. So that's where the even the thought of let's not make it about me. Let me just f do a service. Mm -hmm. If songs come easy to me and it takes me 20, 30 minutes to write one, let me just write like a bunch for you. Right. And that way I'm always get the call. And so podcasting kind of became that for me of like I, I need to do something that's not really about me. Interesting. So you had a sense of service driving you service is everything if you don't think that you're serving everything that i make is about service like it has to provide a function of service so silent giants service is a community of people who are underserved people who do amazing things who make legendary work things that you see in your everyday world that you take for granted who never who was never given a platform to say that was me just for the benefit of listeners that haven't yet encountered silent giants do you want to give an overview of where it started and where how it's evolving yeah, Silent, the idea was. Silent Giants, the concept and idea came like I was writing a song. It took five minutes. It was like, my friend was like, hey, you should have a podcast. What would you want it to be about? Oh, well, number one, what do I have a problem with? My problem is I don't know anybody in the industry. Okay, a podcast about the music industry. But I can't get Beyonce. I can't get Jay. But hold on. If I know everyone else behind Beyonce and Jay, they're going to have cool stories too. And no one ever thinks to interview them. Yeah, Silent Giants. It'll be about people behind the scenes of popular culture. The superstars behind your favorite superstars. Yeah, it came brilliant, just like that. And so because I had been in New York for an extended period of time and I had built an, enough of a network, it wasn't, and I didn't, I always say the rule of thumb is you have one ask. You have one favor to ask of someone. And so think of that favor really well. Like don't ask for anything. When you make that ask, you ask for that email, you ask for that, like, can I, can you produce this for me? Make it count. And so my first ask for a lot of these people were like, yo, could I have you on my podcast? And they were like, yeah. So I reached out to like my friend Cootie, who I had known a little bit, but Cootie was the man who filmed Kanye's first music video for Through the Wire. So Cootie came by and then I had built, I had a long relationship with Blue the Engineer, who had just at the time gotten on, recorded and mixed Solange's album, uh, Seat at the Table. Kid Cootie. Kid Cudi, yeah. Kid Cudi, yeah, yeah. Uh, no, 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 no. No. Cootie, Cootie is a guy from Chicago. He's a part of, uh, he's one half of a tandem called Cootie and Chike, and they uh -huh. directed Kanye's first video. Uh -huh. And I knew Cootie, because I saw him around, and, you know. Here in New York. Here in New York. So and like, a good example, then, of you increasing your probability. You would never have encountered him if you hadn't come to New York. Exactly. But he came by the show, and then Blue the Engineer came by the show, and then... I was surprised at how many people like would just come by my apartment or come by my office and have a conversation with me. And uh, that's how Silent Giants like got started. And in that time, we've been able to build a strong community. Around, we did like a Grammy party for DJ Dahi, who's Kendrick's producer, last year, and that was amazing. We were able to, you know, I'm, I'm also able to use this network to connect other Silent Giants. Give a couple of other a couple of other examples of people you've interviewed in Silent Giants. Oh, man, I had a chance to interview. I did a big special on Michael Jackson's Thriller for the 35th anniversary. So I interviewed Dick Zimmerman, who took the album cover photo. So Michael in that white suit, someone took that photo. And I got the story behind you know, his career and story of, of, of that album cover photo that we recognize as being so iconic. Bruce Wadeen, who recorded Thriller, he actually recorded every single Michael Jackson album from 1979 till death. He recorded. He pressed the button. He was Michael's guy. I had a chance to interview... Bob Giraldi, who directed Beat It. Yeah, um, amazing video. But how did you get to these people? I mean, I, I understand that you uh, had serendipitously maybe encountered uh, people here in New York, the ones you mentioned, like Goody. But Bob Giraldi, how did you get to him? I call. 
But how'd you get his number or his email? Google. Yeah, and that's it. You just, it was initiative and... Yeah, I mean, look, you have to be aggressive. Aggressive, but with a mission. Mm -hmm. Like, not it's not just like, yo, have my podcast. Number one, I try to make sure that I uh, describe to them that this is about them. I let them know, like, hey, I always want to service community of people who do amazing work and bring more attention to them. You know, like, can I interview you? Like, I'm a big fan of your work. And... I get more responses of like, oh, I just like what this, this stands for. And then also, too, once you built, people want to be, I guess, associated, right, with these type of folks. You know, I, I'm lucky that I've had, you know, a nice base of interviews when I started. So now I can draw on these other people. So a lot of it is being fearless and fleshing out your brand, you know, and understanding what you stand for and really being fearless. So, yeah, you just dived straight in there because this must have been, what, a couple of years ago? It's almost been, it's been less than two years. Yeah, so a lot of people would have said that starting a podcast at that, that stage was too late. It was a saturated market, but you you weren't discouraged or put off. You well, said that you were fearless. Well, it's saturated, but for me, the win is that people know me. The win and the people that matter. I was on no one else's radar. No one knew who I was. So for every person I sit down and I do an interview with, it's just like, I cannot believe I'm with this person right now. Like, that's the win. Like, I get to, like, actually have your number, actually have your email or actually go out to dinner with you. A lot of these relationships have turned professional. You know, I just had an interview with a woman named, uh, I did an interview with Mary Wood, who she wrote all the Pepsi jingles and she wrote the seven up jingle. She's like the jingle queen of like the nineties. And she's still in that commercial world today. And she hit me up today or this morning and she's like, Hey, like, let's, let's have a great idea for us. Let's have like lunch. Why not? You're able to showcase who you are as a person. I think it shows, podcasting shows a, a certain level of discipline. Like I have to book the guests, you have to do the interviews, you have to do the marketing, you have to, you're showing skills mm -hmm. of consistency, you're showing skills of, I can engage with high level clients and people and have genuine conversations with them. I find it really interesting. You've evolved it, because you said, you just mentioned there the woman that uh, wrote the, the Pepsi jingle. It's beyond now just musicians, you're focusing on other parts of popular culture. Yeah, I mean, I like music, but I love popular culture. And I, I think number one is you have to expand the show. Like, what is it? Thank God I didn't pick the Silent Giant Musicians as the name. What is a Silent Giant? You know, like, thank God I was able to th pick a name where the brand could expand to other things yeah. and not be limited to just music. A Silent Giant can be, you know, like one person I really want to interview is Tim Grover. He was the the fitness instructor for Michael Jordan. Mm -hmm. He kept Michael Jordan in shape. He he does Dwayne Wade. You know, he's the people who keep premium athletes. He's a Silent Giant. He's the Michael Jordan of physical fitness. It's, you know, obviously Beyonce is Beyonce, but for Beyonce to be Beyonce, she's working with fifty other Beyonces. That's what I learned from Michael Jackson Thriller. Whoever he touched, he calls on to say, "Yo, I want you to dance with me." I want you to mix this for me. I want you to, you are an incredible talent because they don't deal with people beneath them. Mm -hmm. You know, like that's just, when you're dealing with someone of that higher level of, of, of professionalism and talent, they're only working with people that actually maybe are better than them. Yeah. And so it says a lot, of, I think it says the world about these people that how can you be underserved? Like, and I try to, Okay, well, I'm going to ask you a couple of questions about it. Who have you met uh, through the podcast that's most surprised you? A uh, person that most surprised me through Silent Giants? Yeah, that you just didn't expect them to be who they were. You know, I, I would say this guy, Jake Troth. I was friends with his girlfriend at the time, and then she invited him over to be on the podcast, and he was a producer for over at Atlantic Records, and he had produced a song called uh, Really Really, which is a double platinum song by Kevin Gates, and he produced that record and, and uh, wrote parts of that record. And I wasn't very familiar with the song, really, but he is so funny, and he had me dying laughing like in stitches over his interview about like his stories of moving to LA and his stories of like playing basketball with Steph Curry because uh, he's from the same hometown and knowing Steph's dad I literally could not stop laughing like he was just so funny um, and so engaging I would also say it's a tie between Jake Troth and um, Lucia Despespinus mm -hmm. Lucia is the 
woman who made the Dunkin' Donuts logo. Oh, yeah. Uh, she's 92, 93 years old. Uh, but my God, she's so sharp. She's so with it and funny and passionate. And she's the most woke, aware, socially 93-year-old woman. And lives here in New York. Lives here in New York. Well, I might have to um, tap her up for an interview. She is amazing. I would definitely connect. She's unbelievable. And I, I, she just surprised me just as far as where she was going in the conversation as far as touching on issues of race, touching mm-hmm. on, uh, you know, issues on society, her outlook on life. It, it was remarkable. It was remarkable. She, Who's inspired you and why? Ah, uh, man. I mean, I think... I mean, presumably all of them, because they wouldn't be silent giants without inspiring you. Yeah, I mean, I think that, um, like I talked about earlier with you about people, and we talked about, I will literally, if I find one thing that I like about you, I want that thing. And so inspiration comes in who inspires me. It's just a hodgepodge, because no, like, it's not one person. It's, you know, I like professionally someone like a Jay-Z. Right, like someone who I mean, people you've interviewed so far. Oh, someone that I interviewed well, that so can be, that can be from the other podcast as well. We we haven't touched on that yet. Uh, who who has inspired me that I've interviewed thus far? I, I would say someone like Cootie Simmons, uh-huh. because Cootie is someone statistically on paper that wasn't supposed to be where he's at, mm-hmm. and. His joy, his outlook, his energy, his positivity, his, um, he's almost Teflon when it comes to negative things. He's just like an unlikely person to be where he is. And I think it's just the power of the mental mind. It's the power of a positive attitude. It's the power of being a good person that I really walked away being like, wow, dude, you're, you're just, you're defeating the odds. Okay. Who has made you reevaluate yourself or your own situation? Oh boy, ah, uh, that's a great question. Who has made me reevaluate myself or what you're doing, your situation that I've any, that, that, that I've any, in, that I've interviewed? Yeah. Um, that's a great damn question. I, 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 we can come back to it if you want. Yeah, let me come. Let me. Okay, that's that's fine. a good question. Um. I'm conscious about time. We might have to do a follow-up at some point, but I'm going to ask you quickly about curiosity because you wouldn't be doing what you're doing without curiosity. And it seems to be a combination for you of endurance, persistence, passion, creativity, all wrapped up in it. Where do you think your curiosity for life comes from? Because there's always better. There's always better. There's always better. And I, I, and the one, I say this as a, that sounds like very positive, but it's also sometimes a negative mm-hmm. because, you know, there's a there's a joy that I get from always experiencing the new. And that hurts me sometimes. I think that hurts me in some ways where, like, I'm always loving to be around people and meet new people and be in new experiences. Uh, but that also hurts me in, in some ways. It hurts me, like, you know, with relationships that I've been in. It hurts me with, you know, when you are in a relationship with someone and... You are just overly adventurous. It's probably not the best attitude of there's always better. <laughs> no, no, no. no. In, a, in a relationship. No, no, no. Not, not in terms of like, like better people to date, right? Yeah. But when you're a curious mind, mm-hmm. relationships do really well when you are kind of defined, right? You're kind of defined. Your life is kind of more defined. It's like a pot. The plants do better in pots because they need the right amount of sunlight. They have a place to stay. That's, they can give the right amount of water and it can grow. And sometimes like I always feel like I'm overgrowing, I'm overgrowing and I'm overgrowing. And it hurts me in my personal friendships where like people want you to be around for these little small things in their life. And sometimes I'm not really as into it because I'm always like, ah, I was your birthday last year. We got to go do it again. Yeah. Like it's New York after all. And there's a boundless opportunity. Yes. And like sometimes it can kind of put you that curiosity and exploration I just wish I could dial it back sometimes. <laughs> sometimes I wish like I could just enjoy just being in the moment. But I'm always seeking the next thing, mm-hmm. the next adventure, the next song, the next podcast interview, the next podcast idea, the mm-hmm. next. I'm always thinking forward. And sometimes I wish I could just like 
enjoy just that present. Okay. Uh, you're optimistic and positive, positive, as I've said before, but we're living through, we sort of touched on, pretty challenging times, um, huge social injustice, persistent gun crime, an opiate crisis is of epic proportions. How do you manage to remain so positive and energized? I just pay no mind to it. I'm aware of it, but I, I, I only focus on things that I'm in. Maybe I'm a control freak. I only control it. I only worry about things that I can control. Like I said before, yeah. If I can't control it, you know, I know that I'm not going to add to the negativity. Mm. You know, I'm not going to do anything to hurt anybody. But for me, I just tune out the noise. Like, we're living in challenging times with our president right now. He's a piece of shit. But what can I do about it? You well, know? That, takes, that takes me to the uh, next question. If you were handed the keys to the mayor's office, probably even more appropriate, the White House, what would be the first changes you would make to do something about the future opportunity for youth in this country? Oh, I mean, look, first, the first thing is we have to take care of the environment. That'd be the first thing I focus on. Yeah, you know, carbon emissions, like making the world on a baseline level better for everyone. Cleaner air, yeah. and cleaner it's not, water. It's not looking great at the moment. If you look at the, the latest um, predictions coming out of scientific scientific community, the expectation of us not hitting the three, the one point five degrees is probably more likely to be three degrees in twenty thirty, which is not a good good um, omen for the world. Yeah, the first thing I would focus on is services for the heart. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and I would make decisions that were rooted around the heart, you know, rooted around the good for everyone. The things that we just take for granted um, that we just need to tighten up on and make better. And so the environment is one. Um, you know, the next thing would be improving the the social, the, the economic gap disparity in America. You know, I would want to create programs for um, economic op- balancing the economic opportunity. So that's what I would do if I was the mayor's office. Or the White House. Or the White House, yeah. Okay, let's jump on with some quick-fire questions. Okay. What principles do you stand by? What principles do I stand by? Or live by? Um, sincerity. Mm-hmm. I, I try to, to be sincere to all people and look at people for, at face value, honesty. Mm-hmm. Good. They're good. Yeah, and I think that's you. And when I have, like I said, I've known you for for six months, and that definitely comes through. Tell me about the hard choices you've had to make that might have been tough at the time, but have turned out in retrospect to be the right decision. Um, hard hard decision. Moving to New York, you know, moving to New York was a really hard decision. Like leaving what you know, mm-hmm. and having to build a new life for yourself, making all new friends, having to really build you from scratch um yeah how's about moving here okay where do you go to discover new ideas or when you need space to think within i just go within yeah i like you know when I, when I go into a situation where i need to write a song um or i need to think of something creative i just look within for strength like please let this idea come mm-hmm who are your influences and your inspirations? You know, I would have to say probably my my um my mom, but in a different in a different way. Like my mom is my inspiration just because I want to see her be comfortable. She inspires me in that way. You know, I want to see her and make sure that she's taken care of and and good. In the outward world, I mean someone like, you know, Jay-Z is really inspiring. Kanye is really inspiring to me. Steve Jobs is really inspiring to me. People who dreamed big on the highest level. So mm-hmm. getting up in the morning is, is my mom. But once I like put on my clothes and I'm gunning, I'm gunning for people like for Jay and people who like really think big and want to change culture and change the world and be a role model. Great. How do you keep up with technology? That's a great question. How do I keep up with technology? I read about it. I, I'm definitely, I am not the person who knows. I'm around the people who know. <laughs> that's a good so, position. That's definitely a good position. You know, yeah. so when I see like four or five of my bright friends onto something, I'm like, oh, what's that? What's that? Yeah. You know, but I'm not the dig deeper. I'm not the person who's digging to yeah. find like the latest technology. I'm not the early adopter, but you're a fast follower. Fast follower. That's I, you. Yeah. I, I surround myself <laughs> with leaders. Okay. 
couple of more questions before we finish, but yeah. I want to ask you the impossible question. What would your advice be to someone maybe 20 years younger than you that might have a big dream, a big goal, a grand ambition, but has been told by the people around them or the culture they're living within um, that it's impossible? Fuck these people. These people... Okay, you know what? I only take advice from people who are worthy of taking advice from. I don't go to, we care so much about like what our best friends think. You know what? If I'm making a podcast, I ask people who make podcasts, what do you think about this? <laughs> like, I only care about the people, I segment who I get advice from. I don't care. I, I don't go to a real estate agent to talk about taxes. <laughs> like I go to the person who specializes in taxes about my taxes and that's how I look at your dreams like some people are not going to understand your dreams because they're not thinking on your wavelength like, so, so if there's some um, some kid out there or someone not even a kid it might be a, a someone a guy or a woman in their mid-20s mid-30s that want to start a podcast or are thinking about coming to New York and need some advice how would they connect with you yeah, how are you going to ask them oh connect with me yeah yeah they might want to come to you and sort of uh, tap oh, you up let me tell you any person who wants to sit down and grab coffee you know this I'll oh, yeah. meet up with you yeah but if you want to make a move to New York you can't ask people advice who don't want to move to New York they're not going to inspire you in any way to do the thing that you know in your heart is right. So I don't even listen to them. You might love them. They may be your mom. They may be your boyfriend or girlfriend. They may be whatever. But I only talk to bosses. And I mean that. Like, I only associate. And not just saying bosses of, like, CEOs. No. You know, if I want to get advice on how to be a father, I'm going to talk to someone who's a boss who's a father. Who has three kids. Mm -hmm. Who works in New York City. Who's in a similar situation to me. How do you balance fatherhood? That's a boss. You know, of that situation. Yeah. And that's who I tap into. Okay. And if people want to connect with you, where will they find you and uh, email you or hit you on social media? Yeah. Corey Cambridge. Corey Cambridge. That's my that's my Instagram and, and email. Email Corey Cambridge 86 at gmail.com. Okay. Well, that's great. Um, I'm going to jump back with a couple of more, a uh, couple of other questions. Yeah. So, um, you didn't uh, answer the one about the reevaluation. Oh, who who is who Who's made you reevaluate your situation or your circumstances? Um, that I've interviewed. Mm -hmm. Man, I mean, I would say someone like uh, someone like Scott Schreer. Just in terms, Scott is the person who. Um, was a composer for like all the Fox Sports music. So when you hear the NFL theme song, like he makes all that music. Mm -hmm. um, but what I like about Scott, and I think it's something that people have to tap into, is the ability to be nimble, the ability to like look at, survey the land of the of the climate, be present in it, but also knowing how to forecast what's next, knowing when to get out of a situation. And he, he's very smart as far as being very in tune with what's happening in culture and business and getting in a situation at the right time and knowing when to leave a situation at the right time. And he's kind of helped me understand that same thing of like, yeah, I like to rap, but if I was, I'm going to see a lot more traction if I did podcasting. Yeah. And then maybe this podcasting thing is cool for right now, but how can I, how can I pivot this thing to this next thing? Okay. And so I really respect him for that. He's, he's changed my perspective. I maybe have to re-evaluate that question. I should maybe be asking the question, who's made you re-evaluate what you believe to be possible in your life? Mm. Oh, yeah. I mean, look, when it gets to... Sounds like he might be the guy as well. Uh, Scott's up there. I mean, look, I always say my role models, and th these are people that you'd, I've never even met. My role model is someone like a Jay-Z, yeah. Will Smith, Ellen, mm -hmm. like people who... If you are thinking impossible, you got to be thinking like people who think impossible. Yeah. You know, like you can't I look be... forward to your Ellen interview. That's going to be a good one. I love Ellen. Okay. I'm going to um, sort of wrap up now. We want to offer a book to uh, the listeners that submit the best comments. What book would you want us to give? Oh, man. Uh, I have two books that really changed my life. One, The Alchemist by Pablo Coelho. Great book. For any person who is trying to tap into their journey, trying to tap into like the signs of life 
and help find your way along your journey and give you inspiration. That, that's an amazing book. Also a book called Tuesdays with Maury by Mitch Album. Don't know that. Uh, it's an amazing book about, uh, if I'm not mistaken, he, he has like um, Lou Gehrig's disease. It's about a student and his professor and the professor has Lou Gehrig's disease and he's watching his professor slowly die over time. But it just shows you the importance of life, the importance of like, we are only here for an infinite, you know, before we leave, this is the uh, major point that I want people to walk away from. We're only living here for just a temporary amount of time. We are so lucky. Like we live our life because it's our life and this perspective of, oh, this is just life. Today is Friday and tomorrow is going to be Saturday. We are all, when you look at your life as you are the most, you're a miracle. Like think about what we know as human beings, Mm -hmm. as human beings, we're, we're some smart motherfuckers, right? Right. As far as what we know on this earth, we're pretty damn smart. We cannot find another planet like ours anywhere in the universe. Now, it's a big-ass universe, but damn, we at least know we're special, right? We at least know there's hundreds of thousands of planets out there, and none of them support life. When... Our parents make us that we, that we know that we know. But, I mean, there's definitely planets out there, are similar environments to the Earth, but we certainly don't know that. But we know that we're rare. Yeah. We know that we're not the yeah. norm, mm. right? Then we look at like, yo, for us to be here right now. Do you know that when our mothers and fathers were doing their thing and made us, that like we were one of like a million sperm cells mm-hmm. that just hit the one that hit this egg. We were one in a million. Like the odds of us being here right now and this moment is such a privilege and it's such an honor and it's not something that we should ever take for granted. The gift of life is the greatest gift that you can ever receive and that live your life every day knowing that you were the chosen one. That's great advice. Uh, one thing we also have to talk when we meet up again is string theory and quantum the, uh, the the quantum theory that we are all living in parallel universes and there's another Corey somewhere in a in a parallel sort of. Uh, I don't even think that. I think we, I think we're living in heaven right now. Okay. This is this is it. This is this is the only heaven. Don't think that. Oh, I'm not putting my hands and I don't know what's gonna happen uh, if I die. No 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 no. This this is what's going. This is this is heaven. Name a situation that could be more perfect than the one that we're living in everything that we're everything on our body everything on this earth has a rhyme and a reason to it well we're going to do a follow-up on this because this yeah takes us down a different journey and i might invite a couple of other people around the table for that we might do a i've been thinking about um expanding the podcast beyond just one-on-ones but anyway we'll talk about that later who should we interview next oh man oh that's a great question I'd say uh, I'd say Lucius Respinus. Okay, Dunkin' Donuts logo uh, designer. She's just an inspiring person. Like she's a, she's a futurist. She's I'll not even let, meant to be. And she was born for today. I'll let you make the introduction. Yeah, she's absolutely incredible. And also, someone like Debbie Millman. That would be great as well. Okay, very follow you up on that. Just another question I should have asked earlier um, that I haven't asked before because um, I was thinking about the I was watching. You were talking about creativity and inspirations, like Jay Z and all that. But I was really surprised. I was watching the uh, Netflix film of Bruce Springsteen, yes, yeah. Springsteen on Broadway, which I was blown away by. Mm. I was wondering if you if you've watched it yet. No, I haven't watched it yet. You have to. I think you'll love it. Okay, it is poetic brilliance because it's not him singing his classic songs. It's him telling the story of his life. Interesting. It's absolutely beautiful. Interesting. Okay, I'm definitely going to check this out. I think you're going to enjoy that. For sure, for what sure. What would your um, recommendations um, for listeners be? A good Netflix or Amazon Prime or any documentary, even YouTube? Oh, man. I mean, I would definitely say uh, the Quincy Jones documentary was really mm. uh, really well put together. I really enjoyed that. I really enjoyed his story. Um, oh, boy. I would say uh, I really enjoy Explains because I really enjoy how... Guy things kind of come together and and how things work but i'll say the quincy doc for right now did you watch the um the hbo one about um jimmy Iovine and uh andre defiant ones yes yeah, i did that's great yes that i did one that was that was a great one um you know i, I don't know I just, I just love stories that are really inspiring and that are rooted in people and rooted in 
success. I've got a good one for you to watch, put on your list as well. It's a couple of years old now, two and a half, three years old, by Adam Curtis, uh, the videographer from the UK. Okay. Um, called Hyper Normalization. Okay. Okay. I think you'll enjoy it. All right. All right. I'm, I'm, I'm going on that. Yeah, send that to me. Heavy stuff. All right. Well, Corey, thank you very much. Mark, I Always appreciate it, man. Yeah. Um, can't stop, won't stop. We're going to do the impossible, dog. We, we are indeed. Okay. Let's do it. <laughs> Look forward to the next installment of uh, Where Corey Came Bridges Podcasting Life. Can't stop, won't stop. Okay. Bye. Okay, folks. That's it for this week. If you like the show, please subscribe and ideally give us a five star rating and a review because it helps more people discover us. Just go to iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to subscribe and rate. For now, stay curious, be creative, and be open to serendipity. See you next time.